be embodied here in person and to worship with also um, the community that's online. We thank you that even in the midst of difficult times, you've made a way for us to be together and to worship you. And it's in these moments, God, that we can cry out and confess our dependence upon you, a greater need to rely upon you and your strength for you to be our one defense, our righteousness, because we cannot defend ourselves and our righteousness comes so short. Jesus, we confess that there are so many times when we encounter life's difficulties and troubles, when we face our fears, when we encounter our sin, we choose to do the wrong things. Whether that's depending on ourselves or others more and preeminently above you, whether it's turning inwards towards our pride, whether we turn to fleeting pleasures in sin or escapes. But God, you are a God of grace. You are a God who forgives. You're a God who looks upon us with love and kindness and tenderness when we cry out to you in repentance. So God, we pray that you will hear our cries this morning. May we turn from a way of relying upon ourselves and instead turn to you, the one source of life for us. Jesus, we pray for our church. God, would you continue to build harvest with our house churches, with our youth ministry, with our young children. God, may we be generations that proclaim your faithfulness and your goodness to one another and to those outside of our church to those in our workplaces, to those in our schools. God, we confess that we are a church that is in need of your presence more and more. So Father, would you come? Would you reside here? Would you be with us? We long for you. We pray for the missions work that continues here in Orlando and also across the world. We pray for our missionaries that we are supporting, God. We pray for your covenant faithfulness to continue and to be felt strongly in their lives for endurance and patience and resilience and strength to flow from you towards them. We especially pray for our dear sister, Special K. We pray that you will give her um, peace, that you will open doors for her, that um, you will give her strength. As our youth ministry prays for her and we want to support her, God, we pray especially that you will be with us. Help us to be Um, faithful senders, faithful supporters, and faithful prayers. God, we pray for today's word. Uh, We pray for um, the opportunity to see your beloved worship in the form of dance and song through our next generation. We pray that in every part of today's day of rest, of Sabbath, that we can stop and seize and remember you and worship you. So open our eyes today to your word. Give us new eyes to see the goodness of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning, Harvest Church. Uh, my name is Josiah. Thank you, Kim Keepers, for a beautiful uh, performance and worship for us today. Uh, thank you for all the staff who've helped out with VBS. Um, but it's a pleasure to be with you, um, to share God's word with you as we are in the midst of a summer series on Psalms. Um, we all have felt, I think, the, the weight of fear in our lives. And I remember when I felt that most vividly when I was younger. Um, And that was when, I remember when my dad was arrested by the police for planting a church on the mission field. I was terrified and petrified and probably the most intimate I felt fear at the tender age of nine. I remember crying myself to sleep, thinking about the reality that perhaps my dad 
may not return home that night because of a possible reality where he could die. And I think that was the moment that I felt the most alone and scared and unsure about the future. My dad says a lot of wise things, though. One thing he often reminds me is that the safest place that we can be is not where we feel most comfortable or secure. And for some of us, maybe that's in the confines of our suburban homes, or for others, that's where we are in the presence of our family, or for others of us, that's where we feel most in control of situations. But on the ocean floor of the Atlantic are the words, not even God can sink this ship from the Titanic. The safest place that we can be is in the center of God's will. And my dad says that that can be in hostile areas on the mission field. It can be here when we do outreach and extend and go beyond our comforts to reach out to people that we normally don't associate with, to people that maybe pose a threat or a harm to us. Because it's not about what's most reasonable or safe, but it's where we are with God. And if, if God's will is for us to continue to do his work beyond this time where we're facing hostility, then he will see us through that. And that gives us the freedom to not fear and to not be afraid of where we're at. He won't allow any danger to befall you, no matter how great the fear we possess. One of the functions of the Psalms is to be honest. And that's where we find ourselves today, in Psalm 46, an invitation to be honest with our fears. The Psalms are a place for the believer to find a worshipful and emotional connection to God in a place of truth. It's where we find honesty and surrender. It's also where we find grieving and vulnerability. It's where we find complaining, but also on the other hand, we find places of worship and adoring God and extolling Him. The Psalms remind us that God is much more majestic and grand and greater than we think Him to be. And the Psalms also, on the other hand, remind us that we are much more sinful and broken and depraved than we think ourselves to be. And so the, the Psalms keep us in a healthy point of contention. Pastor Deal started off our sermon series in Psalm 63 two weeks ago, um, taking us into the wilderness. Last week, Pastor Ralph, um, he took us through Psalm 23, and we went through the pastures. This morning, I will invite you to come join us in Psalm 46, where we'll be going through the valley and through the sea. When fear and trouble come knocking on our doors, and perhaps as, as rude guests, they enter uninvited, unannounced, and perhaps overstayed a welcome, how do we respond? Trouble is really just a phone call, a test result, or a gossip away. What keeps you in the clutches of fear today? Is it anxiety about the future? Is it possible rejection from those that you reach out to? Or is it a fear of how people perceive you to be? Is it a fear of your health, a fear of COVID? Is it a fear of unrest, whether it's political or violence, or time relationships at home? How do we respond when we feel exposed and vulnerable, when we feel uncertain or unsure and unsafe? Where will you turn when life gets out of control and the world around as you know it crumbles? How are we to live by faith in a world of fear? Psalm 46 is an invitation for us to see that there is a biblical way to respond to times of trouble. 
So will you join me in reading Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots of fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 takes us through three different scenes. The first scene that we see is in the first chunk. So if you notice, if you're looking in your Bibles, after each um, few sets of verses, there's a word that says Selah. And Selah is a marker in Hebrew that tells us to like pause, and I'll explain a little bit more of that later. So we see three chunks already prepared by the author. Each scene, in the first scene, we see that God's power is our refuge. In the second scene, we see that God's presence is an all-satisfying river. And in the third scene, we see that God's providence is a resolution for all of our wars and all of our troubles. And so there are three thoughts that we can glean from this, from the three scenes. So our first thought is that God's power is completely sustainable. Our first scene, we see that it starts off, right off the bat, God is our refuge. The central figure of all of our issues has to be God. And identifying him as he is our refuge. And the question that the, that first statement asks for you today, is that truth true for you? Is God your refuge or is something else your refuge? Is it your wealth? Is it your family? Is it your future or education? Is it your social circle of friends a relationship with a loved one or a spouse? Is it your career? Nothing in this world is guaranteed. And comfort and all the good things that were listed above should never be the primary source of our refuge. Only God can be our complete security and strength. And so then it begs the question, why can we trust God? Why is he dependable? What if the unthinkable happens in our lives? And I know for many of us that has happened. It's because God is a God of compassion. He is a God of covenant faithfulness. He's a God who is loving, and he promises to never leave us. Jesus, it says in the, set, in the second line, is a very present help in our trouble. He won't leave us. Therefore, even if the world around us falls apart, we don't have to fear his departure from our lives or for him not showing up for his majesty and his, and his greatness. What's the context of this psalm? So many scholars believe that this psalm coincides with an event in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where a king of Judah and one of the rare few good kings, King Jehoshaphat, is facing down the gauntlet of three armies descending upon his puny little nation. And at this point, the onslaught is going to be, it's going to be carnage. 
and they're just going to, Jehoshaphat and his kingdom are just going to be roadkill. And it's in that time that we see five different steps, very practical steps of how Jehoshaphat responds to the oncoming trouble and how he mixes this with Psalm 46 to beautiful display of obedience to God and a good model for us. So we won't read the passage, but I'll explain the story very briefly. But I want you, I'm hoping that we can pay attention to the interplay between Psalm 46 and 2 Chronicles 20. So the first step we see is that in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat, it says, was afraid, but he set his face to seek the Lord. And the first step that we see from Jehoshaphat that we can model for ourselves is when he was afraid, King Jehoshaphat turned his face to the Lord. Do we always do that? Like when trouble comes knocking, is our first inclination to turn to God? Or do we turn inwards? Or maybe even outwards to a friend or a spouse? Taking our, prayer, our troubles to God, to the Lord in prayer, is that our third or fourth or final option? But Jehoshaphat turned his eyes from the oncoming armies and from himself inwards and turned it upwards towards God. And it says in the beautiful prayer, he says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the nations in heaven. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. May that be the prayer for us when you encounter trouble. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And the second step is that he rejected unwise or unrighteous options. A lot of times when Israel was attacked in the Old Testament, they would frequently turn to neighbors for help. In that time, their neighbors, neighboring nations would enslave them as a result because they came to their aid. But what Jehoshaphat does is he sees how small his army is, and yet he doesn't ask for help because he relies on God. And that's a bold and risky move, putting his own people at risk. But he knew that only God could vindicate him in this situation. The third step that he took is he gathered everyone together. And when he had amassed everyone, he issued a fast and a collective time where they could seek God's face. And in that time, they recited God's faithfulness. When we encounter trouble, do we gather our beloved brothers and sisters? Do we meet as a church? And do we take our, our troubles and our fears and our worries to our brothers and sisters and ask them to pray for us? And the encouragement that we see from King Jehoshaphat is in those times that we do, it would be good and it would be wise for us to remember God's faithfulness because we remember that God has delivered us in the past and he can definitely do in the future. Step four, we see Jehoshaphat consulted a religious leader. He brought in the prophet and the prophet gave him a word from God. So God gives a response to Jehoshaphat's prayer. And in that response, God says, do not be afraid for the battle is not yours, but mine. You will not need to fight this battle, but go out. And so God says, go out to meet the oncoming armies. It seems like a suicide mission, but just watch and see for myself to demonstrate my glory and my power and my might. And step five, King Jehoshaphat does just that. He steps out in obedience. And so what he does is he takes his small army his little contingency, and then he goes out and he puts his worship leaders in the front. And as they go out to march to certain death, in a way, his worship leaders are singing, 
leading the, the way out with worship. And when they come to the valley where the armies are at, they find just dead bodies. Because in the night before, God had allowed confusion to overwhelm the camp, and the armies destroyed each other. They came to a place where the victory was already won. You may not be facing down three different armies while being a ruler of a nation, like King Jehoshaphat, but you will face fear. You will face the same emotions that Jehoshaphat faced. And like him, we can respond to fear with an uncommon faith and an unnatural faith. Scriptures teaches us of a direct correlation of fearing the world and a lack of faith in God. Scripture tells us that when we fear what the world fears, we're not really any different. But when we choose to trust in God and to fear him and be in reverence and awe that he can do mighty things, and to choose to honor him instead of honoring other people or ourselves, that gives glory to God and obedience to him. And so in the times that you are attacked or assaulted by sorrow or sickness or confusion, by division and conflict, by fear and trouble, sometimes God permits these attacks on your life to refine you, to bring glory to him. Sometimes he allows it to happen to refine others, the ones who are attacking you. And it's in that moment that God demonstrates his grace, not only for yourself, but for the offender. And the promise is that God will be our refuge and our strength. He promises this again in Hebrews 13, 5, where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this promise goes forwards and backwards. Forwards it reads, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Backwards it says, you forsake me or leave me, never will I. There may be cataclysmic moments in your life, in your ministry, in your relationships, and that which is most stable the sure ground, the cornerstone that unravels. It doesn't take long for our lives to go from calm to chaos. So we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond. And so Psalm 46 invites us to not to choose to fear, but to obey God. And we see that juxtaposition of Psalm 46 with 2 Chronicles 20, that instead of fearing the world falling apart, We rely on God, and we give him so much space to do his mighty works. Just wait and see what God can and will do. So will our soul's condition be determined by the earthquakes in our lives or by the one who made the earth? Can Psalm 46 be that anchor for you in the future? When you encounter times of trouble, my invitation is come visit the psalm again. Make it your best friend. Make this in Psalm 27 and other psalms of refuge Psalm 91, a place where you can go to when you are hurting, when the world falls apart around you. How can you and I be like King Jehoshaphat? Can we practically take those five steps and adapt it and and adopt it to our lives? Can we seek God? Can we reject unwise options? Can we gather with believers and reminisce and remember God's faithfulness and also seek prayer and advice from maybe Pastor DL or your house shepherd or your youth teacher and finally to walk out and live out that in obedience. The second thought that we have is that God's presence is completely sufficient. And this comes from verses 4 through 7. It says that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her, the city. She shall not be moved. 
God will help her when morning dawns. And so the second scene that we come to is a scene of a river. And previous verses, we saw that the waters were a, a representation of something that was chaotic, where it was so shaky that the mountains would fall into the heart of the sea. But the difference between that and this is that this river is now a place and a source of life. And what distinguishes both the two bodies of water is that God's presence is in the latter. And that makes all the difference. You see, the rivers were a place throughout Scripture that signified God's life and peace often. Like in the Garden of Eden, a river ran through the garden. In the book of Ezekiel, we see that a river of life runs through the temple. And finally, in the book of Revelation 21-22, in the conclusion, there's a river of God that runs through the city, his holy city. And what that represents is we are that city. We are the church, the bride of Christ, and God's river runs through us. His life flows through us. And Psalm 1, going back to the very beginning of the Psalms, is an invitation that if we abide in God and in his word, meeting with him regularly and daily, that that river becomes a source of life for us. So God is not just a refuge for us, but he's a force, a counterforce, and a source of encouragement and refreshment for us. His response to the dangerous seas that roar and foam is to become for us another kind of water, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And so God's presence makes all the difference. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us, and his presence brings peace. And so going back to the story of my dad, when, when I was terrified that night that I would not see him again, I remember waking up the next morning with my dad sitting at bedside stroking my head. And that was the greatest sense of security and peace that I had felt. And the difference between the night and the morning was that my dad was there. The police had let him go for a little bit. They sent him back home to get his stuff, to go back to jail, which was very kind of them. But it was in that moment that his peace, his presence just brought so much, an overwhelming sense of peace. And I knew that it was going to be okay. God the Father is the same for us. That his presence is one that brings peace and calm to our lives when we encounter trouble, when we fear in those nights where we don't think we can make it to the morning. God is with us. He is always with us. And he promises that in Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. In Isaiah 41:10, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God knows that we as children will, will go through fear, but we will also grow through fear. And his presence is strong so that when we are anxious, the best thing that we can do is to seize and to be in his presence, to bask at his feet and to worship. And the question that comes to us today is, when was the last time that we spent personal time with Christ in his word, reading, worshiping, just being with God? That's a place where we find refreshment. That's the place where we find rest. Now, I remember when my world was falling apart, a few years ago, I had been chasing a dream of medical school uh, with a desire to go to medical missions and serve long-term overseas. And I had planned my life out. 
I knew what year I was going to go to med school, what year I'd graduate and do residency, and then what year I'd get married, what year I'd leave for the field, which agency I would go with. And this was all planned out in my head. And there was no way that this was going to unravel because it seemed like something that was holy and that I'm sure God would back it. But then he, he had different plans. And I remember when he had closed all these doors that I really kicked and screamed for a long time and then I just like binge-watched a TV show for a couple of days. But then after a couple of days, I realized like, this was not helpful at all. So I, I took my guitar to church and I remember singing and worshiping and then being brought to tears, like finally surrendering my dreams, my plan for my own life at his feet. It's in the times of being in God's presence that we find the surrender that we need. So sometimes God brings, allows, or even brings trouble into our lives, not only to grow us, but because we haven't been with him. And his invitation is like, I want to be with you. I want you to sit at my feet and worship me. Nothing else. And so sometimes that's a wake-up call for us, that when we encounter trouble and we are forced to go on our knees, that Jesus says, it's been about time, and I'm glad you're here but we need to be together. So there will be times, however, when we go through trouble that we won't feel God's presence. But we have to understand that when we don't feel that God's listening to us, or we don't feel that God is there, that that perception should not be based upon our felt needs. It's not about how we feel, if God's there or not, but it's about the revelation of how God has revealed himself to us in his word through his promises, throughout scripture, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So when fear strikes, God's agenda is not always to remove us from our fearful fearful experiences. God's agenda is to always be with us through those fearful experiences. And when Moses was being called to set his people free from one of the, the most powerful nations in the ancient Near East, in Egypt, to go back to a life of slavery where he had just killed a man, and to demand for his people to be set free from slavery, to go into promised land to worship God, Moses' response was natural. He said, there's no way. I stutter. I don't know how to talk. I'm, I'm no one. I just killed a man. And he put up a whole list of excuses of why he couldn't overcome those fears. And God's simple response was he said, but I will be with you. And if you're facing fears, Fears, maybe even to do the right thing, to step out in obedience to God. Maybe it's to confront someone in their sin. Maybe it's to tell someone or to repair relationships that have been damaged for way too long. The question is, yes, you have a list of excuses that are probably really valid, but I will be with you. And that's more than enough. And we can trust that God's presence is totally sufficient for our lives. The third thought we see is that God's providence is completely dependable. And we see that in the concluding last few verses. It says, Come behold the works of the Lord, in verse 8, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then it switches. From the third person, we finally hear a new speaker, and it's God himself. And he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. 
And so this third scene is a scene of desolation, but also resolution, where there is war and violence. But through one word, God makes war cease to the end. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God's in control. And we credit this to him as providence. So what does the word providence mean? Providence means two things. One, it means that God has a plan. And the second part of providence says that everything that happens, even the unthinkable, is all within God's plan for a greater good, for his glory. Even if the unthinkable happens. And there are some of us here today who have had the unthinkable happen to us. Maybe it's when we had a relationship severed or a loved one who passed away. Maybe it's when you've been harmed or when the unthinkable is you have harmed someone else in a way that you vowed never to harm someone. Maybe it's in a way that you have repented of sins and turned from it, but now they have come back with a vengeance. I don't know what the unthinkable is in your life, but maybe that triggers a memory with you. But it's in these moments that it's especially tough to acknowledge that God is in control and that he does have providence over our lives. But Psalm 46 says, points to something different. Any weapon that's forged against us is shattered. And I, God confirms this in Isaiah 54, 17, where he promises and says that no weapon that is fashioned or forged against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. And then from there, there's an invitation from God to be still. And so actually the word selah that comes at the end of a lot of stanzas in the Psalms, and here it comes three times. In the Hebrew, that means it's a marker in the Larry device to pause and to reflect. So it asks you to stop and reflect on what was just shared. And on a meta scale, that's what God is saying. He's saying, Selah, like pause and be still and just reflect on who I am. What does that mean? So in, in the Hebrew, this, this verb, be still, is it means like stop fidgeting or like stop striving. And then there's a metaphor that goes along with it, and it says putting your arms down at your side, being utterly defenseless and vulnerable to your enemy. The invitation that God has for us is to be still and to know. And that makes all the difference. When trouble enters our home and we respond sometimes emotively, reacting by how we feel, we don't always take in the invitation to be still and to know that God is God and he is in control. Knowing makes all the difference for our fears. It's like the first time when you maybe have watched game seven of the 2016 NBA Finals. So the Cleveland Cavaliers are tied in a series after being down 3-1 to the greatest regular season team, the Golden State Warriors. Um, and in a tense game seven, in which I feared and was really anxious for LeBron's legacy, uh, with a championship on the line and a nail-biting finish in the last three minutes with the game tied at the score and there are zero points being scored. I remember sweating. I remember walking back and forth. I remember jumping up and down screaming. And in that moment when there is a, an open fast break and Golden State is about to score, the greatest NBA player of all time runs up and has a chase on block that saves the game and, Cleveland, and gives Cleveland the championship. And I remember, like, 
being so glad and relieved that LeBron was not going to get a, a flurry of slander on Twitter. A few days later, I watched the game again. And I remember it, watching it for a second time was a vastly different experience from watching it the first time. Because I watched it a second time knowing that Cleveland had already won. And so I was pretty relaxed. And it was just fun. It was entertaining. In a similar way, when we go through our trials, we can feel a lot like watching Game 7 the first time. Anxious, agitated, not sure about the future. But when we know who God is, like really know who God is, then it's like watching the NBA game for a second time. Like we know the outcome. We know God is in control. We know he is our refuge. His presence makes all the difference. We know that his providence provides and is dependable for us. And that puts us at ease. And so that gives us the freedom to be still and to know that he is God. So that's the difference that makes is whom we know. We know God, and that makes all the difference to our striving. There are three types of, of faith that we kind of see in Scripture, um, three general types of faith, and you'll see it kind of pieced out. One is that it's, it's kind of the statement that says, because of what the Lord has done. So you'll see it throughout Scripture, like if, if Israel has come across a victory and they've crossed the Jordan River or the Red Sea, they'll build like a couple of um, altars just to commemorate this time. And whenever they pass by these stones or altars, they remember, like, oh, yeah, God was faithful in this moment. And so often throughout times throughout the Psalms and, and throughout the, the minor prophets, we'll see that because of what God has done, we can be sure about his faithfulness in the future. The second type of faith we see a lot in Scripture is kind of like an if-then type faith and prayer, a conditional statement. So we see it with Hannah when she's in the temple praying for, her, for a son. And she prays to God and says, if you give me a son then I will dedicate him to your service. And while we may not see this as maybe like the best type of faith in a way, or in a way bartering with God, God honors it and he values it and he values us coming to him with honest prayers and sincerity. But the third type of faith is what we see with Daniel and his three friends. When they are living in Babylon exile and Nebuchadnezzar the king builds a huge statue of himself and asks for everyone to bow politely ask for everyone to bow or be burned, incinerated in the fire. Daniel's three friends tell the king, we will not bow because we know who our God is and that he can save. But even if he doesn't, we will still choose to honor him. And that's an even if kind of faith. That God is powerful. He can deliver. But even if he doesn't, I know that he is working everything for his control. And so Daniel's three friends understood God's providence in a beautiful way. And God delivered them right at the moment. God always comes in at the right time. When it's in the fire, when, they're, when the Israelites are being chased into the Red Sea, even after Lazarus passed away and Mary and Martha were grieving, Jesus still came at the right time. And he comes into the right time in your lives. And perhaps this even if type of faith is not better demonstrated then by one of the early reformers in 1554, his name is Hugh Latimer. He was one who was standing and fighting against the Church of England for a strong biblical doctrine that he was not going to fall back upon. And so he was brought to trial because at the time it was heretical. And so coming into his trial, he went in with great trepidation. And his friend pulled him aside as he was going in and whispered to him, Latimer, Latimer, 
be careful what you say because the king of England is here. And so he went in with great fear, knowing that what he could say could easily be his last words. But as he was preparing and thinking, the Holy Spirit whispered to him, and he said, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say, because the king of kings is here. And that's a reminder for us. Maybe if you are, the fear that you face is a fear that's real in the social circles. Maybe it's of a fear of being canceled in an age where what you say could result in being shunned by friends or being ghosted or being rejected by family members. Maybe as a parent, your fear is that your child will be influenced in the wrong way by the culture, by our schools. Or that as they go off to college, you may grow distant from your son or daughter. Maybe <clears throat> fear comes in the way where we're not sure if our boyfriend or girlfriend will remain faithful or committed to us through all these years. But what God gives us, what we see through Psalm 46, is there is an even-if type of faith that's available. God is with you today, and he is for you today. And even though it cost Hugh Latimer his life, he knew that even if God can redeem, he can deliver, but even if he doesn't, God still gets the glory and is for his good. And that's the same for our lives. Even if the unthinkable happens in your life, in God's providence, he's working all things out. Therefore, we can shout songs of praise. No matter what comes at us, we know that God is enthroned on the heavens. And so God takes us sometimes to places where we don't want to go, where we encounter direct fear, where we fall prey to things that besiege us and assail us. But God does this to produce in us what we cannot achieve for ourselves, greater faith and reliance on God and transformation of our hearts. God uses trouble and fear to bring about repentance and restoration. So his invitation for us is to quit striving, to be still, know that God is God. And if we don't know that God is God, then the invitation is come and know God. Be in his word. Come have a relationship with him. And so the message for those who do not yet have a relationship with Christ is this. Stop fighting and stop running from God. Come learn, be, receive from him, his grace that is free for you. And to the believer, the message is this. Stop fighting for yourself. You can't defend yourself well enough what God can do for you. His power and his presence and his providence is so much better than what you can put up in terms of Jehoshaphat's army. Let God do the fighting for you. Keep your arms down at your side. There was someone who believed these things and lived it out perfectly. Jesus came and he believed in the power of God by going to the cross voluntarily. He believed that God would resurrect him from the dead, conquering death. Jesus believed in the presence of God, and he chose in the final hours of his life to pray, to pray and to be with God so much so that he was sweating blood. And Jesus believed in the providence of God, the assurance that God is in control. And when we struggle with seeing that God is good, that he has control over our situations over, or over evil, we can look back 
to the man hanging on the cross for you and I, paying a punishment that you and I deserve. Why? Because God could only accomplish his plan through the death of his own son. And if he did that, then we have hope that he can do the same through our lives, through our living, through our death to ourselves, and being resurrected and finding new life in Christ. Jesus is our refuge. But he was also had to abandon the refuge in God. And when he was crucified as the most powerful being in the universe, he made himself the most powerless. When he was crucified on the cross, he was the most vulnerable by his mortal enemies who killed him. And he did that so that you and I can find refuge in God. Jesus gave up the presence of God. When he was on the cross, God abandoned his son so that you and I could enter into eternal fellowship with him. And now we are adopted as his sons and daughters. Jesus gave up that part which is most dear to him so that we can be most dear with God. That's the beautiful exchange that we see on the cross. And when Jesus dies on the cross, his words and his actions say that he is with you, he will never leave you, and in that present time of trouble, he is your help. And finally, we see that Jesus is, the, the desolation that happened on the cross is his undertaking of God's providence. When they pierced Jesus in his side with a spear to verify his death, out flowed blood and water. And before that, in John seven thirty eight, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so when Jesus was pierced in the side, out flowed blood and water. Hearkening back to Numbers 12, where water from a rock satisfied all of Israel. But instead, when Jesus was pierced in his side, water flowed that satisfied all of mankind for eternity. Jesus gave up our refuge so that we can find refuge in God. Jesus gave up the presence of God so that we can find presence in him. And Jesus forsook control of the situation so that we can find God to be in control of our lives. And that's the hope that we have. May that be the hope for us this week and onwards. May it be a source of encouragement and joy for us when we encounter trouble. So let's spend, my invitation for us now is, can we enter into a space of praying for a couple minutes? Is God your refuge? Is he that river of satisfaction and delight? Do we truly believe that he is the resolution to all of our desolations, to the place where we have weapons forged against us, that God breaks those, and his invitation is to be still and know that he is God. Whatever fear that assails our hearts today, God's invitation is to be still and to know. So can we pray for a minute, and in that moment, we can just be still and just reflect on who God is, and pray and ask for God to help us.
Can I make another invitation for us to pray about is when we fear there, it gives way sometimes to opportunities to sin or desires that are not pleasing to God. To rely on ourselves, to selfishly avoid the truth if we don't want to be canceled in some way, to refrain from confronting someone or seeking reconciliation and forgiveness because we fear the unknown, we fear what can happen next, we fear loss or more hurt. But is there something that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to repent of? Is there a way in which our fear has robbed us of a joy and satisfaction in God and taken us to a place where we have chosen to erect ourselves as the gods of our universe, dethroning God and his province and his control. If that's so, can we take some time to repent before God and, and ask, God, would you forgive me for not relying upon you? God, help me to make you my refuge, the river of satisfaction. Help me to understand that you are in control even when the unthinkable happens. So let's pray for a minute and then I'll close us in prayer and we'll sing and worship. Jesus, you are our refuge. You are the ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, even if the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, would you help us to be still and to know that you are God? That when fear comes knocking, we don't have reason to open the door, but to continue to look to you. And in those moments of trouble, and we don't know what to do, God, Help our eyes to fixate upon you. Would you be the center of our lives? Would your presence reside with us in our hearts and in our church, God? May this place be a place where we continually find rest and refuge, being in the presence of other believers and with you. God, we confess that we can't do it on our own, so will you fight the battles for us? In Jesus' name we pray.